0: Welcome to the Celebrate Community Church of Yankton podcast. My name is Jeff Todd, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor of this amazing church community here in Yankton, South Dakota. I just want to say thank you for joining us. It's my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. I read this story this week, and I want to share it with you. It's about a young woman who is getting ready to leave her family for uh, moving on with life and entering adulthood. And I want to read it to you, but I'm not going to tell you who it is. Um, So I want you to pay attention to what's being said here. As I was preparing to leave my family and the life I knew, my father's advice to me was find a church home. At the time, I thought it was because he wanted to make sure I kept Jesus in my life. But looking back now, I realize it was much more than that. It's much more than just finding a place of worship. It's about finding a community and discovering true and lasting connections in a new city. In those days, church was everything. Your counselor, your nurturer, your comforter, your refuge. The idea of going to therapy wasn't even discussed. If you needed help, you went to church. It was your church family that made sure that you had a place to go for Sunday dinner. They were the ones who visited you when you were sick or passed the collection plate around if you couldn't put food on the table. The church was even where we created that sense of healing rhythm through our music, which connected and lifted us up. And I just think that's a beautiful picture of the church, isn't it? And and, and what god can do in a life and and seeing that and and what church can be and and it just struck me and what struck me even more by that was who actually said that and it's somebody that i'm pretty sure every one of you here might know and i'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say i think it's one of the most influential people in the last hundred years of our society the person who said that was oprah winfrey now, that might have shocked some of you, and, and, and if you did, kind of check your heart. I don't know Oprah personally, right? I think we have to be careful with celebrities. Like, we hear things and we see things, and we think that we know them and we don't know them, right? And I don't know Oprah's heart, and I'm not here to judge that. But what I'm here to say is I wonder if she found that in the church. And, and, and if she didn't, let's just put, play this way if she didn't find that in a church, what would it look like? What would her life have looked like if that would have been the church in her life that she would have found? And when I read that, it made in my heart saying, that's the church I want to (laughs) be. That's the church I want to be. It's a place where everybody can come and can be comforted and have refuge. All of those things, all of those needs that we have for human relationship should be found in God's church. Because isn't that what Jesus wanted? And that's what we should be aiming for, church. And so that's why I want to just challenge you this afternoon. uh, We'd love to have you here at 1 o'clock because I'm going to unpack it in a little more deeper way than I can do here on Sunday morning. And so we're going to have that time together. And I just really, God's really put on my heart how I think as a church we can do this and how we can make those steps and take that happen. So I hope you can make it today. And if you're a guest uh, joining us online, we've been in a series called Game of the Throne. We've been walking through the the book of 1 Samuel And a guy by the name of Saul, who was the first king of Israel. And we've been making this analogy about how there's a throne in our life and how we can be on the throne or we can have God be on the throne. You just can't have both. (laughs) And how many times we surrender the throne to God, but yet we still keep taking it back in, in little ways and in daily decisions and how Saul would do that as well. And I've said it before and will continue to say it. God will not fight you for the throne of your life. He will just simply look at you and say, Thy will be done. And what we've learned through the life of Saul, the first three weeks, we talked about how Saul really started out quite well. But it's not how you start, church, it's how you finish that matters. So many times I see people come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, and they're excited, and they've seen a great life change, but something happens over the course of their journey. And eventually they come to a place where they wouldn't even consider themselves believers anymore. It's not just King Saul that that happens to, it still happens to this day. And we've been kind of unpacking this for you in the sense of these four different traps that King Saul fell into. In the first week, we talked about the first trap is the fear of people. And how a lot of times we care more what other people think about us than what God has already said about us. And I just made the statement, you can't please both God and people. You've got to pick one. You're either living for the applause of man, or you're living for the one who has already approved you. Which one are you chasing, church? Because every time we try to chase human approval, it fails. And the second trap last week we talked about is keeping control. How every single one of us, if we're being honest, like to be in control, not only of our throne, but we like to be in control of other people's throne too. We like to take our spouse's throne. We like to take our kids' throne. We like to take our coworkers' throne, right? We can't do that. The only person we can control is who, church? Me. I'm the only person I can control. When we try to do that, it's pointless. It devalues them, and it ends up hurting them. And every week I've been giving you a challenge. And last week it was, I wanted you to read 1 Samuel chapter 14. If you're new or you've fallen behind, we've gone 1 Samuel chapter 9 through 14. I'd encourage you to do that. I want you to fall in love with God's word. This is alive and this is exciting. This is stuff we can unpack together. And why I say that again is, if you haven't done that yet, or you're still kind of behind, or maybe you haven't opened God's Word this week, I just want to ask you, who's on the throne of your life? <laughs> because if God's truly on the throne, we would need to make God's Word a priority in our life. So in your Bibles today, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, let us know. We'd love to get you one. It's also Version; It's a free app on any smartphone and device. But just to kind of catch you up for this point, Saul and Israel had just survived an attack from the Philistines. The Philistines had surrounded them, but God had miraculously saved them. It was a great victory for Israel. And I'm going to start in chapter 15 in the first verse. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. Now, if you remember last time... Saul was going into battle. Samuel had given him a direction, and he didn't listen. So before he even gives the direction, Samuel says, Saul, do I have your attention? I need you to listen very carefully to what I'm going to tell you. And this is what Samuel said. There's a group called the Amalekites. Now, if you're keeping score, we have the Amorites, the Philistines, and now the Amalekites. This is another group that is threatening the nation of Israel. Samuel says, Saul, this is why we put you in charge of being king, to help protect this nation. So I'm going to give you this very clear directive, Saul. It's very important that you listen to this. When you go in and you win this battle, because God is going to already give you this battle. Isn't it cool when God tells you what he's going to do before he does it, right? You go into a battle knowing you're already winning. Saul, you're going to win this battle. And when you win this battle, it's very important you understand this one thing. You take nothing for yourself. See, back in those days, if you fought a battle and the, Vic, the victorious army would come in, to the victor goes to spoils, right? They would come in and they'd take all the best sheep and all the best cattle. They would add it to their wealth. Samuel said, this is not about you, Saul. This battle is not about you building your kingdom. You don't take anything for yourself. The directive couldn't be more clear. So Saul and the army fight the Amalekites. And sure enough, God gives him a tremendous victory. If you're keeping score, that's three in a row now. Saul has beat the Amorites, the Philistines, and the Amalekites. Saul is feeling pretty good. He's securing his kingdom, right? He's secure on his throne. He's leading his nation. They're having a great victory. And and then Saul decides that he wants to be the one on the throne. Look at verse 9. But Saul. Let's just stop right there for a minute, right? God gave us a big victory. We won. But Saul comes along. And what does Saul do? And the army spared the king, and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat of the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Samuel's directive couldn't be more clear. None of this stuff is for you. But Saul decided, you know what? That stuff looks right. I'm going to keep this best stuff. I'm not going to get rid of it totally. Now, Saul can say, well, I mostly obey God, right? I fought the Amalekites. We won the victory. We destroyed that. But here's the problem. That's not what God asked him to do. He was given a very clear directive, and he was being directly disobedient to God. Friends, God is very clear what he tells us to do. God wants us to obey him. Look at verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king. Because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. That word in Hebrew, the word turned away, if you circle or highlight something in your Bible, you might want to circle that. It's the word shuvi. And it literally means, again, if I could give you the visual, it literally means I'm going to turn away from God. God is over here. God is directing me. And I'm turning my back on God. I'm turning. I'm going my own way. To use our throne visual, it's saying, God, get off the throne. I'm on my throne, and I'm going to turn completely away from you and it broke the heart of God, and it broke the heart of Samuel, which brings us to the third trap that Saul falls into, that you and I can fall into. It's the trap of disobedience. Friends, incomplete obedience is total disobedience. When we decide that we know best, and we're going to do this part, but we're not going to do that part, when we pick and choose, God can't bless that. God asks us for total obedience. And look at what happens, verse 11. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Why did Samuel do that? Because Samuel loved Saul. See, Samuel wasn't just Saul's prophet or Saul's pastor, if you will. Samuel was Saul's friend. Samuel was Saul's mentor. And Samuel loved Saul deeply, and he wanted him to be successful. He wanted him to follow God. And yet, Saul continually turned his own way and it broke the heart of Samuel and that part of the verse where it says he cried out to the Lord all that night friends I wonder if we have people in our lives who have turned from God I know I do but here's one I want to ask you when was the last time you stayed up all night crying on God on their behalf see if we really love people and we really want them to obey God and turn back to God that's what Samuel modeled the entire night he stayed up and he cried out to God on behalf of Saul But then in the morning, it goes from bad to worse. Look at verse 12. Early in the morning, Samuel got up. I wonder if he even actually went to bed. Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor. Let me paint the picture for you. King Saul has just won these three great victories, right? He's just beat the Amalekites. He's feeling pretty good about himself. He's going to Carmel to set up a monument to himself. So I am the great and powerful King Saul. Can you imagine Samuel's heart at that point? You imagine how broken he was? If this were a movie, I bet there'd be like a close-up of Samuel and his face would just be angry and steam would be coming out of his teeth, right? This is why you should read your Bible. HBO has nothing on God's Word, right? This is the point. Saul's broken hearted, is broken hearted over Saul. So Samuel goes to Saul. Look at verse 13. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? What's Samuel doing here? Samuel is giving Saul an opportunity to come clean. Remember, Samuel couldn't have been more clear. Saul, none of this is for you. Don't take any of it. Samuel comes up. Saul's taken some of it. Dude, take responsibility. Own your mistake. But what does Saul do instead? And before we look at it, <laughs> I just got to warn you, it's the same thing you and I can do too. It's the same trap that we can fall into as well. Look at verse 15. Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites, and they spared the best of sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord. But we totally destroyed the rest of it. Sound familiar? I don't know about you, but I've done that in my life before. Samuel gave Saul a very clear directive. Don't keep anything for yourself. He was even warned about his previous disobedience, and Samuel gave Saul an opportunity to come clean. But what did Saul do instead? The same thing that you and I can do as well. And if you got your notes, I'm going to give you three words you need to write down that we're going to pick out of this verse and we're going to pick apart. Because if we get this, this is going to change everything. Saul blamed. What's the first thing he said? See, it was the soldiers. The soldiers are the ones who made me do it. But there's a problem with that, isn't there? Who's in charge of the soldiers? Saul is. As we found out last week, Saul is the one leading. You don't blame the soldiers, Saul. You're the one that's in charge of the soldiers. Here's the second thing he did from that verse. He justified his actions. See, I kept them so I can sacrifice to the Lord. That's why I kept them, because I want to sacrifice to the Lord. Remember, Saul is sitting there setting up a monument to the Lord or for himself? Saul is sitting there setting up a monument for himself, But he's trying to justify his actions, saying, no, 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 this is really for the Lord. This is for the Lord. This isn't for me. (laughs) He blamed, he justified, and here's the third one. He minimized. See, we do our best to minimize what we do. See, I destroyed everything. Samuel, I destroyed everything. It's all the knockout I destroyed it. I just kept the best stuff. Here's the problem with blaming, justifying, and minimizing. His directive couldn't be more clear. Don't keep anything for yourself. But instead, and Samuel came. Samuel, brokenhearted for Saul's disobedience, came to Saul and said, what's going on? Saul had an opportunity to own his mistake, turn away. He knew he wasn't doing it, but instead he blamed, he justified, and he minimized. What was Samuel's response to Saul? Look at verse 16. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Now, I don't think Samuel said enough. Okay. <laughs> I think he was ticked off at this point. I think he was like, are you kidding me? As a parent, if you've ever seen your kid do this, right, and, and they start giving you the excuses and the lies, and they start, you just get to a point where you're just like, enough. That's where Samuel reached. Actually, when I was preaching this out at the campground, I got to this point, and I said that phrase, and one of the guys poke up, and he goes, I would have probably said a different word. <laughs> I think Samuel might have think of that, right? You've been in that position before? Enough, Samuel said to Saul. And here's what you need to understand, church, and this is something, man, if we can get this. God requires total obedience. God requires total obedience. God is not interested in who you need to blame. God is not interested in your reasons and excuses. God is not interested in your minimization. God requires total obedience, which is what Saul refused to do in this situation. And instead of owning it, instead of taking responsibility for it, he did what you and I do. He blamed other people, he justified his actions, and he minimized what he did. There's a word that we use in church sometimes, and I think it's so misunderstood. (laughs) It's the word holy. Holy is a big deal to God. What holy means is holy means you're set apart for a different purpose. You're set apart for God. It means when I surrender my life to Jesus Christ, my life no longer belongs to me. It means I'm surrendering that throne to God and I want to be holy. Thy will be done, not my will be done. Now, to which you might push back and say, okay, Pastor, are you saying to me that God wants me to be perfect? Like, God wants me to never fail? Everybody, look right here. That's exactly what I'm saying to you. God is holy. He requires our total obedience. Now, before you push back on that, let's, let's, let's talk through this a second. When it comes to you and I, let me ask you a question. How many times can I lie to you and you be okay with it? Three times? Four times? What, what, what's the number, right? If, I, if somebody comes to me and they tell me a lie, I tell you the what? First thing that happens, I check everything they tell me. <laughs> I don't put up with it. Let me ask you another question. How many times can I steal from you and you'd be okay with it? Like i go by your house and your garage is open and I just help myself to one of your shovels and just take it home and don't say anything to you and just steal from you. How many times you you be okay with that? Never? <laughs> you shouldn't do. L- let me get a little more personal. How many times can I speak bad about your spouse and you'd be okay with it? Mm, getting a little- How many times can I hurt your child and you'd be okay with it? Now, this is where I'm going with that. Your standard and my standard is perfection. None of those things are ever okay to do. We have a standard of perfection. This is where it makes the problem is. The problem is you and I, our standard of perfection, we're hypocrites. You know why? Because neither one of us are perfect. (laughs) But God is. Our holy God, who is perfect, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, a sinless life, is perfect. And he says, you be perfect like me. And every time that we fail... God requires total obedience, and we're in sin, and we're broken that relationship. To which you might say, well, pastor, I can't be perfect. You expect me to be perfect all the time? I can't do it. To which I would say, exactly. Now you're ready to let the one that is perfect be on the throne of your life? See the difference? You and I on our own, we're never going to get there. We're broken and sinful people. We surrender to the one who is perfect and who is holy and says, God, thy will be done, not my will be done. That's why God requires total obedience in us. And that's exactly what Saul didn't do. Saul was given a very clear directive. Don't keep anything for yourself. But instead of owning his mistake and recognizing what he had done, he did what you and I do sometimes. He wanted to blame. He wanted to justify. He wanted to minimize. Look at verse 17. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Verse 19, why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pronounce the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Samuel is giving Saul a second chance to come clean. Samuel is saying, listen, stop with the blaming, stop with the justifying, stop with the minimizing. God couldn't be more clear. Saul, own your mistakes. And what does Saul do instead? (laughs) He continues to do the same thing that you and I tend to do. And here's the first one. If you want to write it down again, we minimize our sin. You and I can minimize our sin the same way that Saul can. I've heard it said this way. We tend to overstate what is done to us, and we understate what we've done. Let me say that again. I tend to overstate what's done to me. If somebody hurts me, somebody lies to me, somebody steals from me, somebody's mean to me, boy, that's a big deal. And I overstate that. And I want to make. Now, if I do it, <laughs> well, I, it's not really that bad. I didn't really mean it, right? We do that, don't we? Better agree with me because I feel like I'm alone up here, right? Anybody else do that? Okay, right? It happens. We minimize what we do, we have a very good reason for it. Maybe put it to you this way. I heard a story this time of a uh, husband and wife. They were driving in a car. Uh, husband was driving. Wife was riding the passenger side. Police lights come on. They pull the car over. Officer comes up to the window and says, sir, did you realize you were going 20 miles an hour over the speed limit? The husband says, no, I had no idea. The wife goes, yes, you did. I was telling him for five miles. He needed to slow down. He wasn't doing it. He needs to slow down. Officer looks at the driver's license and says, sir. You aware the fact that your license expired two months ago? The husband was like, no, I had no idea that happened. The wife was like, yes, he did. I've been telling him for months he needs to go in there and get that renewed. He's not listening to you. Husband turns and looks at the wife. He goes, will you be quiet? (laughs) And the officer goes, sir, or ma'am, does he always talk to you like that? And the wife goes, no, only when he's been drinking. (laughs) we tend to overstate what other people do and understate what we do. And we fall into the same pattern. And look at what happens with Samuel and King Saul. Look at verse 20. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me to. See, I did what I was supposed to do, Samuel. But incomplete obedience is disobedience. See, I did what you asked, but that wasn't all he asked. Saul did not fully obey what God had said. He tried to minimize it. So what we need to do instead, church, and I just want to challenge you, we need to overstate what we've done. When I fail, when you and I fail, we need to take that moment to stop and say, yeah, I blew it. And go into somebody and say, man, this I did this and it wasn't okay. Don't minimize it. Don't make excuses. Just own it. And when someone else hurts us, <laughs> right, that's what grace means. To say, okay, yeah, we're in the same boat now. It's not, it's not making it okay, but we need to make sure that we're owning that. Here's the second thing that Saul did, again, that we do, is he blamed other people. This is the blame game. We've seen this all the way back at the Garden of Eden. It started with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, God gave them the one rule. Here's the one tree. Stay with this one tree. They went ahead and they broke that rule. And Adam did what? He blamed Eve. Eve blamed the snake, and we've been blaming people ever since. We're not taking responsibility for what God has done, what we've done to God. Look at verse 21. The soldiers took the sheep and cattle for the plunder. See, it was them. It was them that did. I was was just trying to do what the soldiers were saying. And if you remember last week, we talked about the only person I can control is me. I always have a choice. The greatest gift God gave human beings is the gift of choice. See, when we blame other people for our mistakes, what we're doing is we're cutting in on God's grace because God can't forgive me if I didn't do anything wrong. (laughs) If it's someone else's fault, I can't be under God's grace of that. I need to own my part and my responsibility. This happens a lot when I I counsel uh, couples um, sometimes, either pre-marriage or maybe if their marriage is struggling. And I hear a lot, this is what they did. They did this, they did this, they did this. this." And I'll stop and I'll say, okay, I'm not saying... None of that's true, but here's what I want you to do. What's the one thing you can do differently? <laughs> is, there, is there one thing that you can look in this situation and you can be like, you know what, I could have said or I could have done that differently. I've been pastor in this church for five years now, and I can tell you story after story, there's been situations of people that have been mad and people have done just ungodly things, and, and it hurts, Right? But I can tell you, and I'm being honest, in every one of those situations, in every one of those situations, there's at least one thing that I can look at and I can own. And I can say, you know what, I probably shouldn't have said that, or I probably could have done that. And I need to apologize for that. Even if it's 99% their fault, (laughs) and there's 1% that's you, own that 1%. Don't blame other people, because God wants us to take responsibility for our actions, So we minimize, we blame, just like Saul. Here's the third thing that Saul did again. He justified his actions. See, isn't it interesting that I have reasons for my actions, but other people have excuses. (laughs) If people come to me, that's an excuse, that's an excuse, but when it happens, when I do it, well, I have reasons. I have reasons why that happened. And see here, friends, this is why it's so important that you have people in your life. And if you are not part of a life group, I can't encourage you enough, be part of a life group. Because this is where we have godly people in our lives that can help us walk through these things because it's really hard to see in a mirror. I have a thing called the say-it-out-loud test. And I have people in my life, um, I have other pastors that I meet with weekly that um, they know everything about my life. And if there's ever anything that comes up, I, I'm accountable to them. I talk with them. I'm open with that. I need to have that accountability in my life. And, and this, there's something that happened just this week, actually. And I went and, and I shared with them what was going on in the situation. And as soon as I said it out loud, <laughs> I knew exactly. I was like, wait a minute, that's not right. <laughs> and, and because they love me and because they love God, they were able to help me with that, right? Jeff, you're trying to justify something. Don't do that. And and I call it the say-it-out-loud test. If you say it out loud to someone else, again, who loves God, who loves you, they can help you understand because it's so easy to want to justify our behavior. Look at verse 21. Saul continues to try to blame, minimize, and justify. The soldiers took the sheep and the cattle for plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Doesn't it sound so holy? See, see, Samuel, this is all for God. I want to do it all for God. We can justify our behavior so many ways, but God requires us to have total obedience. This is why you need to have someone. Look at what Samuel says. Again, Samuel, who loves God, who loves Saul. Look at how he responds to Saul when Saul tries to justify his behavior. Verse 22, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? As much as in obeying the Lord. To obey him is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. Saul, you can try to justify your actions all you want. You were given a very clear directive from God. Don't you dare come and try to justify your actions. If you want to please God, and church, understand, if you want to please God, obey him. Total obedience. And if you say, I can't do that, pastor, you're in the best place you can be (laughs) because you're ready to let him do it for you. That's why Jesus went to the cross for you because he knew you couldn't do it on your own. And when we own the responsibility for our actions, it changes everything about us. So your challenge for this week is I want you to read 1 Samuel 15. If you haven't already read 9 through 14, go ahead. And again, I always... I always tease with the fact that I'm going to leave you hanging and not tell you how it turns out, but I love you, so I'm not going to do that, but I still want you to read it, all right? So Samuel tells Saul that because of his disobedience, the kingdom's going to be taken away. And then a very interesting thing happens in verse 27. Look what happens. Samuel turns to leave, and Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and tore it. Can you imagine this picture? Samuel just told, he tried, and he's just like, I I can't do it, Saul. He turns to leave, and Saul, in his anger, grabs Samuel and tries to pull him back, and a part of his robe rips off in Saul's hand. Listen to the words of Samuel. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel away from you today, because God requires total obedience. God is not interested in your blaming other people. God is not interested in you minimizing your sin, and God is not interested in you justifying your behavior. And if you're going to continue to stay on that path, it will not go well for you. And it didn't go well for Saul. And we've seen Saul now fall into the three traps that you and I can fall into as well. He was afraid of other people. He cared more what other people thought about him than what God thought about him. Every time that's bad. We've seen Saul try to keep control of other people. The only person we can control is ourselves. Stop trying to do that. But this trap of disobedience is such a big thing. We serve a holy God. His word could not be more clear. Don't blame, don't minimize, don't justify. When you fail in church, you will fail. The guy holding the microphone has failed and will continue to fail. But when we do, we need to take responsibility for our actions. We need to own it. We need to say it out loud. Sometimes you need to say it to someone else and say, listen, this wasn't okay. I confess this. And we need to get off that throne and let the perfect one who knows no sin come on that throne for us and say, thy will be done. And next week, we're going to walk through one final trap that Saul was a part of. And you say, Pastor, you're just saying that, so we'll come back next week. Yes, that's why I say it, because I want you to do okay. But this one here, I love you. And, and I just want you to know, church, this is such a big deal to the heart of God. Where are your heart at right now? And, and we're going to go to prayer here in a moment. But as we pray, I'm just going to ask that we take a moment right at the beginning. And if there's anything in your life that you are blaming, minimizing, and justifying, you need to take care of that right now you need to bring it right before God, and you need to confess it before God. And if there's anything right now that the Holy Spirit is kind of convicting you of, don't, don't do anything but take it right to God. Like, don't let that pass. That's a feeling from the Holy Spirit that's prompting you and saying, listen, this is something in my life right now that I need, to, I need to quit doing, I need to start doing, whatever that is. So let's go to a time of prayer right now. And again, I'm just going to let you sit for a little bit with whatever the Holy Spirit is putting on your heart right now. Maybe there's someone in your life that you've been blaming and you need to let that go. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you know is not okay and you've been justifying it and today is the day you need to say stop. Maybe there's something in your life that doesn't seem like a big deal and maybe in the scheme of things it's not really a big deal but to you it is. Because God's told you to quit doing it or to start doing it. You need to stop minimizing it. God requires total obedience. What is that for you? I just want you to take a few moments here. God, your word couldn't be more clear because you love us and you want to protect us as a loving parent. You've showed us the way that we're supposed to live. And God, if we're being honest, we probably get it wrong more than we get it right. And we're on a journey together. And God, in the same way that we demand perfection from our fellow mankind You demand the same from us. You're not being unfair. You're not being unjust. You're just holding us to the same standard we hold everyone else to. So God, I ask two things in our lives. First of all, that we would be just as gracious with our brothers and sisters as you are with us when we fail. Because last I checked, the only guy who was perfect, they nailed to a cross. So we need to stop putting people on crosses. And God, the second thing I would ask is that when we find those moments, when we find that we've blown it, God, when we're convicted of that sin, that we would run. We wouldn't walk. We would stop what we were doing, and we would run to that foot of that cross, and we say, Jesus, I'm so sorry. God, give us the strength and give us the wisdom on how to deal with our imperfection and our disobedience. God, your word couldn't be more clear. Every single one of us have gone astray. The things I struggle with might not be the things you struggle with, but that doesn't make me any better. It just means that we need a Savior. And Saul, because of his heart, and because of how he turned away, his heart became so hard, he could not, for the life of him, own the mistakes that he had made and recognize it. even with Samuel pouring into him and loving him and trying to guide him, God, and God, I'm just going to ask that if there's anyone in this room, if there's a name on your heart of somebody who has turned away from God that you've been praying for, God, I pray that you would break our hearts for the person. That we would become Samuel, that we wouldn't give up, and that we would just come to you in tears, saying, God, open their hearts. And God, your word says that for the rest of his life, Samuel never stopped praying for Saul. <laughs> give us that heart, give us that passion. But God, again, help us to look in a mirror. Help us to see who we really are compared to you and your love and your grace for us. God, I thank you so much and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you live in the Yankton area, we'd love for you to join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at 310 Walnut Street. You can also check out more content on our website, yankton.church, or our YouTube channel, at Celebrate Yankton. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to it and share with others. God bless.